Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to be introduced to a number of themes in these chapters. Some of them um, are, are just simply repeated themes. I think one of the most common themes that we see throughout these historical narratives is God's sovereignty, Scott, uh, God's plan working itself out in, in uh, providence. Uh, sometimes those words sovereignty and providence are used interchangeably. They're, they're, they're not the same word. Um, sovereignty is God's ruling. The providence is that outworking of his rule in, in history, in real time. So sovereignty is that he rules. He, he has the right of rule as creator. And, the pro, and his providence is what we experience right now and what history has been experienced since uh, the beginning. We're going to certainly see um, aspects of God's sovereignty and his providence throughout these these chapters. But we're introduced into um, one of the most confusing characters in all of Scripture, the first king of Israel, Saul. He, he's an enigma, really. And when we read his narrative, there's oftentimes more questions that come up that than we have than answers with Saul and and some of the things that we read in Scripture. And so we just some points we just have to take them for what they are. But what we're going to see today is really a foreshadowing of what his kingdom or his kingship is going to look like where uh, there's almost a spiritual deadness about him. If you want to talk about a man with no spiritual discernment, well, we see it in Saul and just he in general comes across as aloof. And that certainly comes out in his ruling and how he rules as a leader. The other thing we're going to see through this, uh, these chapters as we're introduced to this first king, is Samuel is going to tell us the purpose of a king. What the purpose of a king is in a couple of places. And that's going to be just really uh, important for us to bear in mind as we go into David and then the subsequent kings after David. We consider what Samuel tells us is the purpose of a king. And what's interesting about this scene, let me, let me just uh, give you the two chapters in this summary type statement. There is a behind the scenes choosing of Saul that happens between Saul and Samuel uh, that is ordained by God and directed by God. That's secret. It's behind the scenes. No one's no one's seen it. We get to see it because we're reading the account of it, but no one else can see it. And then there's a very public. Choosing of Saul that God has also ordained that everyone sees without knowing what happened in the background. So what we see is what takes place behind the scenes and we get to see what takes place publicly in the choosing of Saul as king. And that's important to make that distinction because what we're going to read now is the behind the scenes and then move into what if we were part of Israel, we would have just witnessed and seen. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, Ab, Ab, Abiel son of Zeor, son of Bekorath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And so 
how we see Saul introduced is this four generation genealogy, which is oftentimes common. And he's from the tribe of Benjamin, which we we should know a little bit about the tribe of Benjamin when we looked at the particularly the book of Judges. Uh, But what we see that stands out here is that his family is wealthy. We're going to see that they have cattle. They have servants that work for them. Uh, So this is a man of means, Saul is. He he would have been a prominent family in the tribe of Benjamin. And and that's important to keep in in mind, especially when we think of the character of, of of Saul and what is typical of oftentimes children of wealth. And you see some of those tendencies come out in Saul. Verse 2, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now, he's introduced with his impressive looks and his stature in height. A couple of things as you think about when people are described by their looks, it's not oftentimes um, a person that is worthy of imitation. You think of Absalom, David's son, was described for his looks. And the fact that he is named as taller than anyone else is significant. I I had not known this until uh, one of the commentaries pointed it out, and I'll, I'll just quote this commentary because it's helpful. Saul is the only Israelite specifically noted in the Bible as being tall. Elsewhere, it was only Israel's enemies whose height was noted. Israel had asked for a king like the other nations, and the Lord was giving them the desires of their heart, end quote. That's something to reflect on, is that there's no other Israelite named for his height except for Saul. But you see, oftentimes, the height of their enemies is, is given. And so... This is a sign of things to to come. And we know that people judge from the outside. They see so that guy's a good looking guy. He's he's built that that's the guy who we want to lead us. And that's how often we think. It says now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you. Arise, go and look for the donkeys. Now, we have to note something here. Is this by chance, which we don't believe in chance, but that these donkeys just wander off? I mean, a man of means that has a farm and has helpers, they shouldn't allow their donkeys to go off wandering, but yet that happens here teaches us something very important about God's um, sovereignty, that it extends to all aspects of life. And his providence can be seen in the minutia of daily farm life even. That's what this is. This is farm life. And God's sovereignty is applying to every little aspect. It was Charles Spurgeon that said there's no such thing as a rebel dust moat. R.C. Sproul said there's not one rebel molecule out there. And so when we look at these donkeys, this is all part of God's plan that these donkeys go up missing. This is going to set the way 
for what God intends to do. I mean, think about that often when, I mean, it would be a misfortune to lose a donkey in our equivalent if your car just wandered off. That would be a misfortune for you. And even if you had means, if you had wealth, that's still going to hit. And so when we look at this, sometimes what we we don't see is what God's doing uh, in, in spite of things that we see taking place. Going on in verse four. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalashah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. And when they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. Saul, you had one job. Find some donkeys. What kind of shepherd that's going to be called to lead God's children who searches through these towns can't find some donkeys? He fails in finding these large animals after thoroughly looking. Does this not give us a little insight to how his shepherding of Israel will be? If he's not qualified for the job. Verses 6 through 10. But he said to him. This is the servant, by the way. We've got to note that. Behold, there is a man of God in this city. And he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says come true. So. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to the servant, but if if we go, what can we bring the man for the bread in our sacks is gone and there is no present to bring the man of God? What what do we have? The servant answered Saul again here. I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. That's an interesting historical note, by the way. Verse 10, and Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now, this is a striking uh, awareness of Saul. Is that Saul is completely unaware of the most famous man in Israel who is the religious leader of Israel, which is Samuel. The man who's going to become king doesn't stop to say, maybe we should inquire of God. But he says, I can't find the donkeys. Let's give it up. His servant has a greater insight than he does. He has a greater insight than the future king. So Saul seems to be ignorant of Samuel, which indicates he's ignorant of the things of God. I don't see how we couldn't come to that conclusion if he's not aware of who Samuel is. Samuel was well known and he did not reside far from Saul. I'll just think about that for a second. If someone famous lived in our vicinity, we would all know it. But let's just say the most famous person 
in our country lived within our vicinity, how much more would we know it? That's the case here with Samuel. And so his servant has to suggest that they seek uh, God for help. And that's going to be a characteristic that manifests itself in Saul's kingdom. As Saul is impatient, he just is rash in making decisions, doesn't stop to think things through. He doesn't do things according to God's precepts. He doesn't stop to pray to God. We see that over and again with him. And it also shows us Saul thinks that he can do what with the prophet? If you notice in the text, buy him. Yeah, what are we going to bring him so he'll tell us this? And it's showing, again, his lack of understanding of Samuel, um, the man of God. So we come to verse 11. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And so this is probably in the evening, most commentators note. They answered, he is, behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat for the people will not eat till he comes. Since he must bless the sacrifice afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. And so Samuel is coming to town to preside over this sacrifice. They're waiting for Samuel as a, as a way of honoring him. So it just indicates what a big deal it is that Samuel is coming to town. They would know when Samuel was there. So it gives us just a little bit of insight here in that. Um, and and it's, it's just interesting. You'll notice this. After those who are invited will eat. So the eating that's going to take place is by special invite. It, this is a special deal if you were to eat with Samuel in this meal that was taking place. And that's also going to come to play as we look at this. So now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel. Now pause. These verses seem like they're out of order of the narrative. The narrative is going along, going along, and then we have this pause and we look backwards. But looking backwards explains everything from the lost donkeys to the women drawing water to the fact that Samuel is coming to town to the fact that later Samuel has provided a or set aside certain food for him that he's going to give him a place to sleep. All of these things factor into what we're told right here as a way of understanding. So the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be priests or prince over my people Israel. I wonder if the wound of the people saying, We want a king, and Samuel being upset about it, God revealing to Samuel he's from the tribe of Benjamin was like salt in a wound. Because the tribe of Benjamin, if you remember, 
was almost wiped out by their brothers in the book of Judges. And this would have happened not too long ago in their past. They had a, 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 a notorious reputation. But, says, he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. He's saying what he's going to do. How Saul will be God's means of protection of his people. Listen to what he says. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Go back to chapter 8. God told Samuel, Samuel, they didn't reject you. They've rejected me. God says this about a people that just a chapter ago rejected him. If we ever for a second question God's mercy, let us be reminded of this. He says, for I have seen my people. I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Despite their rejection of me, God is still merciful to them. Now, Samuel is told that this is going to happen, that Saul is going to come, and this is what's going on behind the scenes. This is what's always going on behind the scenes. Always. This is what's going on behind the scenes. The thing is, is where it, it's difficult for us is we don't get to see what's going on behind the scenes. I hope this doesn't get old, me repeating this quote, but R.C. Sproul says, if you want to know God's will, it's none of your business. And if you want to know what it was, look at what happened yesterday and you've seen it. Um, and, and so... Samuel is in this position where he gets to see what's going on. He gets to see what's happening, and God is revealing that to him. We don't always sit in that privilege. We may see a glimpse of it in, in our lifetime of, of things and events that take place, but usually we don't. But we can rest assured of this, as Proverbs twenty twenty four says, A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Boy, you could reflect on that for all of eternity. And guess what? We will. God is sovereign over the huge events as well as the small events of, the, of life. He's sovereign over the choosing of Israel's first king, his people, for his plan. And he's also responsible for the, the, and sovereign over the flies that the donkey's tails would have swatted away. He's sovereign over every little detail and minutia of life. And in all things, God is working towards his end. In all things. In verse 17, it says, when Samuel saw the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. And so the Lord speaks in some way that we're not privileged to know to Saul, to where Saul is aware, uh, I'm Samuel is aware that Saul is coming his way. And he says this, 
He it is who will restrain my people. That word restrain is very interesting. It's almost always used in Scripture negatively. It's oftentimes translated as in prison, lock up, to hold back. So as we look at that word, he who shall restrain my people, when we think of the word restrain in terms of God's law, it takes a positive influence in God's law, we would agree, because it's written on man's heart, it restrains a society. And that's a blessing, that is a grace from God that God has written his law on, on the hearts of every human being. And why is it that we don't just live in complete rebellion, even with people that are in complete rebellion? Because God's law restrains them. We would view that as a blessing. So when we think of that word restrain, sometimes it can take on a, a positive. I don't think it takes on a positive connotation here. And you mix that with the deliverance that is promised from the Philistines, it shows us that not only is Saul going to be a deliverer of Israel, but he's also a sign of God's punishment upon Israel. He is going to be in some ways a, a curse upon Israel. And certainly you see that in how he leads, is that he is not a faithful king, and that hurts the people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? So here he is. We talk about aloofness. You think you might recognize Samuel, the most famous person in Israel, when he's the whole reason the whole town is gathering and waiting, that you might recognize this must be Samuel, even if you've never seen him. Saul goes, hey, can, he's talking to Samuel. Can, can you tell me where Samuel is? I, have to, I hope we see the irony in that. I think it just shows another example of his lack of fitness for the job. Um, as we noted, he's the most famous person in Israel, and, and Saul's looking at him in the face, has no clue who he is. And Saul, Saul, Saul shows himself to be unable to judge a situation which becomes, again, self-evident as he rules as a king. And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. Remember the invitation only. So Samuel's in, inviting him. You shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago. Hold on. Did Saul ask about that? It says, as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? And, and again, we come across one of those words that could be taken differently, desirable. One person translated that translates it this way. For whom is all the sinful craving of Israel? A word desirable. Can be translated as something that's pleasant, something that is desirable in a good way. It can be used that way, but it's also derived from the verb for covet. 
What has Israel been coveting? To be like the other nations, to have a king like the other nations. And so what we see here is they have been craving a king. And Samuel says, you are the one they have been craving, they have been coveting. Remember when Israel coveted meat in the wilderness and God gave them meat till it came out their nostrils? I think it's a vivid picture of what's going to happen with them and with their new king, Saul. And Saul answered, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? He's got that right. It's not too long before this that Benjamin's Benjaminites were almost completely wiped out. And is not my clan of the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin, they were the smallest. Why then have you spoken to me in this way? And then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. Saul didn't even know who Samuel was, and now he's sitting at the head of the table. This has got to be, I, Saul has to be wondering, what is going on? And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you of which I said to you, put it aside. So when Samuel was told, there is a man coming to you, Samuel immediately went and prepared for this moment, trusting in God. For this moment, knowing that he's a Benjaminite, knowing that this was a rejection of God for them to want a king, he still prepares for it in the right way. So the cook took the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guest. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof and he lay down to sleep. The reason he gets the, the roof is because that would have been the best place because you would have had a cool breeze, which would have given you a better night's sleep. So he's given a, the best place to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof up that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. The word of God is going to be made known to Saul. From Samuel. Samuel's words were the words of God from God through the instrument of Samuel. So he's going to give him infallible instruction. He's going to give him infallible words. In chapter 10, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince? over his people Israel and you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies so he's telling him what the purpose and what his job is going to be and this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage so this anointing is interesting because you normally only anoint the priest or sacred objects but here the king for the first time something other than sacred objects or the sons of Aaron are anointed 
with oil. That is a, a setting them apart. And then he's going to give him a sign of what's to take place. Verses 2 through 8. We'll read to verse 6. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin as Zelzah. Notice the detail. When people say, I have a word of the, from the Lord to give to you, my normal advice is run. But when, when, when we look at true prophecy, if I have a word from, uh, from the Lord for you in the scriptures, notice the details of it. That's not, you know, I think the Lord told me that you're going to get this job or whatever. No, this is, look at the detail of this prophecy. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. Again, look at the detail of the prophecy. This is what you're going to experience. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gabith Elohim, where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So the, the detail of this prophecy is impossible just to make up. God has revealed this is what's going to happen to Saul, and that is exactly what happens. But it also sets us what, what has to be the tone of all future kings. And this is why all future kings fail. Is the, the relationship between the prophet, the word of God, and the rule of the king. The king is to be under the word of God. And Samuel is making that so clear here. Now, when these, sign, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And we know that Saul's not good at waiting. He says, you need to do this. When he turned back to leave, Samuel gave God another heart and all these things came to pass. And when they came to Gabeah, behold, a group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Now pause. This is a testimony of the character of Saul. They're shocked when he is showing signs of religion, when he is showing signs of being a spiritual, godly man. They're looking at him and they're saying, uh, we don't know who this guy is. One of the most devastating things that we can hear 
is when you're around someone for a long time and they say, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Ouch. Well, they're looking at Saul. We didn't know that you knew God. God had turned over his heart. And a man of the places, verse 12, answered and said, Who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. And Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when they, we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. So again, we have had the privilege of looking what's taking place behind the scenes. But uh, Saul's own family is unaware of the significance of what has taken place. Why he doesn't reveal this to his, his uncle, we're not told. Um, I think we can get some... We can make some speculations, but we're not told why he doesn't tell him. But what is interesting is that it's secret. Only Samuel and Saul know. Not even the servant of Saul knows what's going on. Now we transition from behind the scenes, the private anointing to the public ceremony of it. And listen to how this unfolds. It's, it's amazing as we see God's sovereignty work out in this way too. Publicly, now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. God is saying through Samuel, I did these acts of mercy for you. Look at verse 19. But today... You have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. This is supposed to be a celebratory moment in Israel's time at this celebration of anointing and choosing the king. And Samuel, instead of bringing a word of encouragement to them, brings the hammer. He brings the hammer to them. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. This is a massive group of people. Samuel knows who the king is. Samuel has anointed the king. The people do not know the king. And look at how the king is still chosen. Samuel doesn't say, here is your king. But he puts it in the hands of God. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. The decision is in the hands of God, as Proverbs 16.33 tells us. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clan, and the clan of the Metrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be, what? Found. They have no idea where he is. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. He's hiding. It demonstrates their, this verse that they, they go to the Lord, their dependency upon 
Yahweh. It also shows us a little insight to Saul's tendency to try to escape his duties. Remember, he's already been anointed king privately. He's kept it a secret. And now when he is publicly chosen, he's hiding. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among the, all the people and all the people shouted, long live the king. So notice two things. The people are choosing Saul based upon his looks. And the Lord says, and we're told that the Lord has chosen him. This is our tendency. You go back, uh, re- remember the, the televised debates between Nixon and, and Kennedy? We all watched that live, right? What, why is it that, that Nixon lost? Sweating? Five o'clock shadow. Kennedy was a good-looking man. That's not an argument for one's legitimacy over the other. That's just a f- point of fact. He, 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 one looked the part, one did not look the part. We judge people by that outside appearance rather than looking at maybe other qualifications. That's exactly what they're doing. They're doing the same thing we do when we choose who we want to lead us. Well, ultimately, the choice is the Lord's. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. An amazing privilege of Samuel. Probably recording the sections in Deuteronomy that give the instructions on kingship. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched to follow this new king. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. I think it's interesting. Saul's first act of king is actually merciful. Holds his peace with these worthless fellows. And we see as we look into the life of Saul, he, he starts off good. But it's quickly that he falls down. But don't miss the fact, again, of the important role of God's word in the life of the king as directing. And we think of the Lord Jesus, who is our king. And his obedience to the will of the father in all things. He says, I do as my father has told me to do. That word of God, Jesus followed perfectly. Now, the thing is, is about kings. They are responsible to uphold God's law, pagan or Christian. They're responsible to God's law, regardless. And the nations are commanded to worship God. The kings are to see that that happens. And when they don't see that that happens, they are neglecting their God-given duty. We have to see that. And all Christians are to come before God's word in obedience to it, to be led by it, to be guided by it. 
So what we see here, Saul is a fallible king. Saul is a transitional king. He's probably the most enigmatic king. He is an unexpected and an almost unwilling king. He is nonetheless the king. The one that God has chosen as both blessing and punishment to the children of Israel. I, I think that, you know, we obviously see his fallibility and it points to our need of a perfect king, which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly the kings point us in that direction. But I think another thing is an important lesson for us is that we, we should consider and weigh very heavily um, in looking to Saul in how we select who we are going to have lead over us. How was David described? A man after God's own heart. That's the best qualification as we look. Saul doesn't exhibit really any of those spiritual qualifications. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for uh, the, just the many things that we see in your word tonight, your sovereignty working itself out in the life of Saul and the life of your people. And just the reminder that we have and, and the assurance we have that you are working even now. That there's nothing left to chance. It gives us great hope and comfort in all times in our life. And Father, I pray for our church that we would be comforted by that. We would be comforted by your um, ever-abiding presence in the life of the church. We pray, Father, for a, a safe trip home and a restful night's sleep. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.